Copeland's talking. Welcome to the first 2023 edition of Copeland's Corner. Uh, normally, I have a distinguished panel of comics who join us if, uh, if, if uh, this is the first time you've ever heard the podcast. Today, we had two scheduled. One may pop in. Um, pop in sometime over the course of the next half hour or so. But in the meantime, uh, it's just going to be two of us. And I want to introduce my special guest, one of my favorite comics and a, an old friend. Uh, you've seen her at comedy clubs all across the country. Uh, she was a writer for Conan O'Brien the last, what, eight years? Was it eight years or 10 well, years? I was, was 11 there. years, yeah. 11 years. It was that yeah. long? So the last 11 years uh, that he had his uh, his his nightly show, uh, Lori Kilmartin joins us. Welcome Hello. to the podcast. Hi, Brian. And great to talk to you again. Well, great to talk to you as, as well. So the way this works, because this is your first time, you're a virgin. And I know you don't get called that often, but you are a virgin and this is your first time on the show. So uh, the way we do this is I've just got a bunch of things that I have pulled uh, uh, out of the news this morning. And, uh, you know, we just talk. We just, okay. we just chat. So um, I want to start with this. Um, have you been following the George Santos stuff at all? Um. <sighs> That's one of those news stories that I'm glad I'm not a monologue writer anymore because he's so loathsome and I don't want to uh, know anything about him. But I have it keeps popping up on my Twitter feed. So I, I read a little bit about it. But it's he's he's garbage. And um, uh, I just wish he wasn't a presence in my brain. So, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, you do. Well, uh, the uh, the Nassau County Republican Party has called on him to resign uh, because of his fabrications. And he said, no, he said he's not doing it. So um, just, you know, to, to, to catch folks up here, are the things that we know that he's lied about so far, his fabrications, when he said he fudged his resume, uh, he lied about his education. He lied about his GPA. He lied about his employment history. He lied about owning over a dozen rental properties. He lied that he was a Jew. Now he says, no, I didn't say I was a Jew. I said I was Jew-ish. Right. <laughs> Meaning to like. I mean, uh, that is genius. But also that's like the joke about 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 a hundred Jewish comics have that joke. So uh, it's, he's a thief. He's a joke thief. That's he's a joke thief on top of everything else. It's yeah, it's the least worst thing about him, but still. His grandparents, he lied and said his grandparents survived the Holocaust. Uh, he lied. Well, to... well, I mean, they, I mean, my grandparents did too, but they weren't in it. So technically all of our grandparents, if they were, if they were alive past 1950, survived the Holocaust. You know, he should hire you to do, do spin for him. You <laughs> <I know. laughs> should see if you get on his congressional staff. Uh, he said he lost four employees in the Pulse nightclub shooting. And uh, and here's the thing that kills me. The first thing, the first thing he did in Washington was tell a lie. He he released a statement saying that he had been sworn in uh, as the new congressman for the third district from New York. The problem was that the House did not have a speaker yet, so no one was sworn in. They couldn't yeah, Brian, swear you in. Again, to- somebody swore at him, and that's what he thought was happening. Like someone called See, him an effing liar and he's like, oh, I've been sworn in. Well, here's my question for you. And that is this um, in today's climate and especially and there's a lot of crap now that in, in the in the the pre-Trump years, you'd have been long gone, you know, if you'd have pulled it. 
But yeah. today, it, it, it seems like the threshold, rather than when you get caught in a lie saying, okay, well, I lied and I'm resigning, they double down on the lie and they they survive. Um, you've got you've got a, out of the 17 new Republican committee chair people, 11 of them voted to overturn the 2020 election. And and uh, so so the 11 out of 17 who are chairing committees, you know, the Judiciary Committee and, and the Appropriations Committee and all these things. So so the bar has gotten so low in this climate. Do you think he's going to he, he can survive after this? Absolutely. Because Democrats have been so demonized that they would rather Republicans would rather vote for the lowest possible Republican than a Democrat. And if he was forced to resign uh, and they had another election, um, you know, well, I guess a Republican would win. But I don't you know, I don't think he'll be penalized for not resigning. That's my 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 theory is he'll win. He could win the next election in two years because his district is very uh, red. No, actually, his district is, uh, uh, um, from what I understand, Biden won that district by like 11 points or eight points. Well, or what happened? How did he? Well, that, how did that's he the win? question. What? That's exactly what the question is. And he won by a lot. You know, he he flipped it. That was a that was a takeover for, for the Republicans. Is, he, is he flipped this, it. Is this that one of those districts that Sean Maloney, the the the, the D.C. Uh, head is being lambasted for because he lost like uh, it, it might be one of those New York districts that they yeah. completely screwed yeah. up. Yeah, it's a newly drawn district, too, is, is yeah. the other part of it, is the other okay. part of it. You, you mentioned this since you're not writing a monologue anymore, that like people like him are not in your brain. How many jokes did you have to write a day? Um, there wasn't a numbers attached to it. You know, I, I mean, you could you could submit. I'm sure you could submit 100 jokes and in a day and only you'd still have the same amount of good ones as if you submitted 30, you know? So mm. I think our, our, uh, cause I know other shows are more, uh, quantity over quality. And for mm. us, we sort of, um, you know, we're given the room to pour over a joke and really try to perfect it before we turned it in, as opposed to just here's like three or four pages you know, I mean, it's real easy to if you if you just have to meet numbers, it's real easy to rewrite the same joke like five or six times with, mm -hmm. you know, different targets. But it's just basically the same jokes. So I guess that counts as a, a new joke. But to write like really good original stuff, um, you know, you're Brian Kylie would always say, I, I maybe I have one great joke a day <laughs> out of, <laughs> you know, maybe 50 written, you know, um, so, you know, uh, and then you have good ones. You have one, maybe one great one, a couple of good ones, and then the rest are serviceable. And sometimes are the, those are the ones that get picked because of their topics or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I would say 35 to 50. See, that's that, again, when you're talking about those that the shows that were quantity um, oriented, like I knew people who wrote for Arsenio. I knew people who wrote for Jay Leno, and they all had to turn in at least 100 of them a day. But but I guess that says a lot about why the the quality of Conan's jokes were 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 really so so much above the quality of what Lena was putting out. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, if you if you have to do a hundred a day, there's no there's you don't have time to to reread them and to read them out loud. You don't have time to you don't have time to do the editing, which is half of writing. You know, mm -hmm. if you're just doing the writing part, you're not doing the full 
the full part of writing, actually, because the second half is getting rid of words and making mm-hmm. sure you're speaking, you're, you know, the words you picked clearly and efficiently deliver the information you need, that you're not giving out too much information. Sometimes, especially when it's a news based on a news story, people add in a lot of information that you actually don't need for the punchline and mm-hmm. it just bogs a joke down. So um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a shame. You'll get better quality jokes if you uh, give your writers the room and the time to edit. And topical is hard for exactly that reason, because you have to know exactly how much information to give them up front so that they get the punchline. And it's real easy to get bogged down in the details. Yes. Before you get to this real easy. I've done packets for other shows have not been hired, but I like, you know, like been transcribing their monologues and I'm like, what, why is it? Why is there a paragraph of, of setup here? You know, when the punchline is just about, the punchline references one clause in this paragraph. Why are you giving so much extra information? You know, and if you are going to give all this information on this person, do it in joke form. So now it would be instead of like one joke with a massive setup, it would be like three jokes. And each joke, mm-hmm. uh, you know, has a little bit of inf- information in it. And the third one is maybe your best one. I'm not really sure. It, it drives me nuts, though, you know. Yeah, well, and that's why, as I said, like when you looked at the jokes that Leno was doing, they were not most. I mean, every once in a while, he had something that was great. Uh, But like for the most part, they weren't really they were the easy jokes. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I say the easy jokes, I mean, they they were the jokes that were just kind of like right there in like my barber thought of that. Yeah, (laughs) right, right, right. They they were like that kind of joke, you know, as opposed to they they weren't really uh, most of them weren't really well crafted. We'll put it that way. I do think um, also people start to write for their their audience. And a lot of times, uh, <laughs> sound really nasty, but, you, you know, uh, studio audiences uh, aren't often your home audience. They're not the same people, right? right? So a studio audience is like they're on a tour, right? And your show is like maybe the third thing they're doing in the studio that day. They may not be fans of the host. They may never have seen the show. And um, so, you know, I I, I can't speak to Leno because I didn't write for him and I didn't really watch his stuff. But I do know that sometimes we would be like disappointed at our like the studio audience, like not getting or not maybe even knowing who we were talking about, (laughs) Um, you know, and and always like envied shows like The Daily Show where you feel like. The Daily Show, that was all that the crowd was doing that day. They were rabid Daily Show fans and they were probably political junkies, a lot of them. Yeah. And so, you know, Stewart and Trevor Noah didn't have to, you know, they could they could do jokes about like maybe a little more niche characters in um in Washington than we could because they, you know, I, I there was one time where we I thought we had a really good uh, Paul Ryan joke, but it's like, do, does our audience even know he's the house speaker? And if we have to, you know, say it, you know, it's like, are they going to be like, what's a house speaker? <laughs> like, oh, versus, wow. you know, um, versus, you know, uh, Daily Show's audience would be like, you could say Paul Ryan, and immediately everyone would know it was that guy with right. uh, Eddie Munster hair, right? So uh, it, it, for the, for, for the late night hosts, you you are sort of held hostage by whoever shows up to your show live as well, you know? 
I saw Leno in an interview with Bill Maher. He's got um, uh, he's got a, a YouTube show that he does where he just does a sit down with somebody. Yeah. One on one with somebody. And uh, they were talking about how um, he, he really had to dumb it down for America because America is it's not like when, you know, you and I grew up watching Carson and and I've been watching a lot of Carson stuff that pops up on YouTube from time to time. And mm-hmm. I forgot how good he was. Gosh, I know. I mean, you forget how good he was, but he would sit and like an interview Gore Vidal for 20 minutes. And you're not going to see Gore Vidal sit down with any, you know, with with anybody right now. It's it's just America just doesn't have the attention span or or am I am I wrong? I mean, do, do you think America's not as smart as America was 30 years ago when Carson was hosting The Tonight Show? I have no idea. I mean, I do. I think that kind of Gore Vidal interview is now be done on a podcast. So th- those interviews are happening. They're maybe not for late night anymore. And I don't know what late night is is for anymore in a way, because so many people watch it in clips the next day. Like they, yeah, you know, they don't a lot of people don't watch the full show. Uh, it used to be like with late night, they they definitely watch the first part and the first guest. And then they'd start to drop off and yeah. and then they'd never see the comic or the music. Right. <laughs> but well, exactly. But now it's just it's all just done in little pieces and it's never, it, you know, it's consumed the next day, not late at night. I, I don't I don't know. People are, you know, are people are smarter or dumber. I think people are are more conscious of, um, you know, uh, racism and sexism now. So that that to me is smarter. You know, I definitely if you look at some of Carson's jokes, especially sexism wise, it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, it, it it changes. Maybe it's it's I, I, I do think we're an intelligent people, but maybe maybe that intelligence has shifted over to emotional intelligence a little bit more to the people that have it. Obviously not QAnon or something, but, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, late night, you, you know, Carson had a captive audience. He had no one else to compete with. And no, nobody, nobody. The people that went to go see him because he was so famous, they loved him. So they were a Carson audience. And again, like now it's, it's, um, you know, there's so many late night shows and, you know, there's devoted fans of, of hosts and stuff, but a lot of times the people in your crowd, uh, have never, you know, may never have seen your show on television. What do you think about the landscape of late night now since Samantha B is gone and Trevor Noah has stepped down and, you know, it's, it's white guys named Jimmy. Right. I mean, you know, I, I guess I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, since I would love to work for any of these guys, I'm, you know, I, I don't want to, <laughs> I'm not saying bad mouth. I'm, I'm talking about just the general yeah. landscape. Of, of of the late night turf. Well, it's weird because I've I've read that the that CBS may not do a late like may not replace Corden. You know, like really? they may not have a late late show again. And you know, they're they're expensive to produce. They have a lot of uh guilds and um union workers and stuff. And yeah. they're they cost they might be costing more than they bring in at this point. I'm not yeah. really sure. Those um, numbers aren't used for those shows for the for, for the later shows. They're not they're at just all. Not because not the audience is, it, is not there. It, yeah. So in that in that situation, that's where people um, try to do the safest thing possible. And a white guy is still the safest thing possible. If you look at comedy, if you look at who 
gets specials, it's, you know, and who's supported by like the machinery in the industry, it's Mm going to be a younger white guy. That's who they're, they're like, we can't lose money on this. We might lose money on these other people. Maybe not, but I mean, there's the fear it overtakes your sense of adventure. Why take the, why take the risk? Why take the chance? Let's go with the default. I'm told that Ron Vi is here. Ron, I I I am here. I've been listening intently and uh, (laughs) trying not to interrupt. Hi, welcome. Thanks. You know, I did one of those weird things where I woke up at 10 a.m., looked at the alarm, put it down, and then woke up again at 1:15. Oh, I hate that. I must. Yeah. Tell me without telling me you don't have kids. Tell me you don't. (laughs) (laughs) And you want to know the worst part of this is that I have a 12, 10 p.m. Southwest Airlines flight tomorrow. So when I woke up, the immediate thought wasn't open. Yeah. Oh, well, exactly. But the immediate thought wasn't podcast. It wasn't, oh, my God, I overslept. It was, oh, my God, I don't want to be in the sea boarding group. That was my immediate thought. (laughs) All right. I'm going to tell you a trick. Okay, I'm going to tell you and I'll tell the listeners a trick. If, if you find yourself in the C boarding group or, or in a, a, a group where you're going to board too late on Southwest, if you go before the flight and mm-hmm. you go to uh, to the desk and you tell them, um, I am claustrophobic and I've got to be on an aisle seat because I'm really claustrophobic. Hmm. So can I pre-board 100% of the time to let you pre-board? So you get to go in with the old people in, in wheelchairs and with the families. That's good to know. I and it works a hundred percent of a hundred percent of the time. And I found this out because I really am claustrophobic and I really do have yeah. to be on an aisle seat. But they don't ask for any proof. They don't ask for it. They just say okay, and they let you pre-board. Well, uh, I I wouldn't feel uh, comfortable with that lie. You know, like I don't want it. I don't want it that badly. But uh, I respect people that do. Okay, so that leaves Ron. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so Ron, I, this 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 next topic, I was thinking about you when I wrote this down. I, I don't know if you remember last time you were you were on the podcast. You were telling me that you were looking at something online, and they had uh, something that had to do with the GOP, and they had some African American commentators or spokespeople, and you went to the link and it was diamond and silk. Do you remember that? Ron, are you there? Did we lose you? I think we lost him. I don't see him on my uh, zoom grid. Uh Oh, I think he got dropped out. Well, he, he, it was diamond. It's, you know, who diamond and silk. maybe maybe he's on a flight. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he's right off the pre-board. He told them he was claustrophobic and they put him on the plane. (laughs) (laughs) He ran ran out the (laughs) pre-board. You know who Diamond and Silk are, do you? Are, are, do you? Oh, I do. I, uh, they're, I, I don't know what they do besides be insane. And I know that one of them just died from COVID. Yes. Uh, Diamond died on Monday from yeah. COVID. And uh, she she and Silk lost a gig. They had a Fox. I, I had no idea that Fox has a digital platform. They right. have a video digital platform and Diamond and Silk actually got a show and Fox fired them because the misinformation that they were given about COVID was just too much. Wow. So, I mean, think about how bad it was that Fox fired them for right. giving misinformation. I mean, I've never even heard of that before. No, that Fox would fire anybody for, for misinformation. Well, were, were they saying that uh, that the COVID vaccine protects you from COVID? Because to the, Fox, that is misinformation. Maybe they were accidentally giving out proper <laughs> information. Maybe they, maybe they said wear masks or something, or something <laughs> of, that, of, yeah. of that nature. Uh, 
but uh, they were, you know, they were calling COVID a hoax and they were, they were, you know, trying to discourage people from getting vaccine and, 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 and stuff of, of, of that nature. So, you know, that being the case, um, I don't want to see anyone die. All right. Let me, let me preface this remark by saying that. Here I don't we want, go. I, you see where I'm going. And it, it, that's like saying, look, that's like when you hear somebody say, listen, I don't want to sound racist, but you know, something racist is coming out of their mouth right yeah. immediately afterwards. And so I don't like to see anyone die and I don't want to see anyone die or get sick. However, I think about how many people might be dead because they listened to the crap that they spewed and, and followed it. You know, Fauci said there are a hundred thousand people who are dead. Uh, who don't have to be dead because they listen to Republican right wing crap about not getting vaccinated, not wearing masks. And they caught it. And they caught COVID and it killed them. Right. So, so my question is, you know, when you put it in that context, do you have a lot of sympathy? I, I guess is the question I'm asking. Oh, oh, no. I mean, I don't need any context. I have no sympathy for Diamond. She uh, I wish it had happened earlier. That's my only that's what I'm sad about that. She so long. I did tweet at Silk to get vaccinated. I'm sure she didn't. Maybe she did. Maybe this put the Vera got into her. I have no idea. No, she's got to go fund me. That's where she's going. She's got to go fund me going to buy a coffin for Diamond. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And and to protect Diamond's legacy. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not kidding. Oh my god! And, well, and- I, I don't know anyone. Like on the one hand, it's a scam, but anyone who would donate to her, I do hope they get scammed. But then, I, 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 the bigger picture, it's really bad for the world and our country that uh, this is happening at all. So I don't know. It's so it's so depressing. It, it was you know at the beginning of the vaccine denial. When a, when someone, an anti-vaxxer would die, you know, there was like an account that was tracking it. And it was like, ha ha, it was a lot of fun. Let's be honest. It was a lot of fun. And now it's just exhausting. And you see what it led to and, you know, that it's leading to lots of people not getting vaccinated for many yeah. things and lots of kids getting the measles and the resurgence of polio. And it's just like, oh, my fucking. Oh, sorry. I don't know. I forgot. it. OK, we'll bleep it. It's all right. But, we'll bleep it. Um, yeah, so it's not it's not as fun as it used to be when an anti-vaxxer dies of a vaccinate a disease that was preventable by vaccines. That's all. Um, when you talk about about uh, people not getting vaccinated, there, there was a study that came out that if you live in a red state, your odds of dying from covid are exponentially greater than if you live in a blue state. Because yeah. in a red state, they're not vaccinated. And I, I, I found this out firsthand. I went to I went to visit a friend in Phoenix a couple of months ago. And yeah. I, I wear a mask anytime I'm inside, unless I'm on stage. It's the only time uh, indoors Same. that I won't wear a mask is Same. unless I'm on stage. Otherwise, I'm masked because uh, I've, I've got a three month old granddaughter who has no immunity at all to anything. Right. No, and and anything could be deadly. So I have my mask on and I'm in Arizona and I forgot that Arizona was a red state. My Uber comes and I walk out and the guy's not wearing a mask and he sees that I am. And he says to me, if you want, I can wear a mask, but I don't really need to because my wife and I take our ivermectin every day. Oh boy. Yeah. We take our, we take our ivermectin every day and my jaw dropped and I thought, okay, should I say, nah, I'm not going to say anything. What's yeah. the point? I'm not going to deprogram him before my, my Uber ride's over. So, right. you know, but the fact that that they have actually convinced people to take horse dewormer 
And and apparently it's not just um, it's not just places like that. Um, you know, I, I got a friend here in the Bay Area who's got horses and his vet came to check out his horses. And his vet was saying that she she and other veterinarians have to lock their ivermectin in a safe. Oh, my God. People are breaking in to steal it. That's insane. Well, That's yeah, crazy. I mean, they might be breaking in just to sell it, not necessarily take it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, Arizona is a blue state now. So hopefully their COVID rates will go down. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, but is it a blue state or is it? Just, I mean, yes. Yes. They had a blue wave, you know, in the, in the higher uh, offices in November. But I don't know that I'd call it a blue state. I still don't know that I'd call it a blue state. It's well, just way, I, I'm back and I'm just picking up on this conversation. Oh, welcome back. <laughs> well, we were talking about Diamond and Silk and I, you know, you, you talked about Diamond and Silk because, you know, Diamond died. Yes, I, I, I heard that Diamond died and I didn't know how to feel about that because I um, always don't want anybody to die except that was a real problem that we talked about a lot during like the campaign and the COVID crisis and everything. And uh, I picked up on ivermectin there and I don't know where you were going at with that. Uh, but let me tell you that, and, and I'm sure the same thing probably happened to Lori since you, we all know that both of our parents died from COVID, but people were so adamant about no vaccines during that time that I literally had somebody call me and say, well, you know, the vaccines don't work. None of the pills work, but I'll tell you what does work. And it is, um, a celery, onion, and a little bit of lime juice will help cure your dad. And I was like, bitch, that's how you make a Bloody Mary. Like, I like, but that's, <laughs> but that is what people kept doing. And I guess their mind was like in the right place. But why, what was bothering me was why were they going out of their way to ignore science, but come up with all of this BS? Well, apparently they misunderstood COVID and they thought you said a hangover. How do you kill <laughs> Same thing. I mean, nothing was working. I was ready to put two Hooters girls in my dad's uh, hospital room and see if that perked them up. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I do feel like people, um, because the medical industry has been incredibly shitty, and if you look at the pharmaceutical industry, it's it's killed. I don't know if you, if you consider them responsible for opiate deaths. deaths it's killed uh, hundreds of thousands, if not more than a million Americans. Like, I understand people being... Yeah. Um, wary of of any pharmaceutical company and not trusting of of the health industry just because dealing with any sort of health issue if you don't have incredible insurance is a nightmare and it just feels like mm -hmm. it's their money uh, their blood seeking uh, uh, money people instead of you know trying to help you so if you if you already have had those experiences and you're angry at the medical community or you've lost somebody to a drug overdose, like an opiate overdose, mm -hmm. all the the right person has to say the right things will that will make you go, you know what, I'd rather, I trust the, this uh, podcaster who says uh, horse dewormer. I don't trust this doctor who says this because he's part of this company that did this. Like I, I can see how it happens. That's yeah, but do, but do we know how clean the horse dewormer industry is? Of course not, but it's but it's it's not associated with those people that people that they don't trust. That's it. Yeah, well, I was telling you when we were talking about this off the air that the you know uh, it, it's a a big deal. I don't know if it's as big a deal now as it was, but it was a huge deal in the African American community where they you know African Americans do not trust um, anything like that coming from the government after, after right. the Tuskegee experiment. To, mm -hmm. Totally understandable. Yeah. 
but that was withholding treatment. You know, that, that wasn't like injecting you with something. The Tuskegee right. experiment was, you know, oh, they got syphilis. Let's just not do anything and see what happens. You know, that that's what the Tuskegee experiment was. Same people, though. Same same people making the decision. I, I mean, I just I'm not I'm saying that the distrust is is understandable. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, for, for the right for the person in that kind of a mindset, you know, that doesn't have a lot of critical thinking skills or is just, you know, bombarded with disinformation from what they're listening to. I can see how they start to reject, you know, science. Honestly. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you this. Cause, cause you're, you're a mom of a teenager now, but when you're, when your son was, was little and was, you know, at the age of getting all the vaccinations, were you in any way apprehensive? Cause I, I was really surprised to find out how many people in, you know, Marin County here, you know, in, in Northern California is supposedly this progressive, um, well-educated, financially well-off community and they've got a lot of anti-vaxxers there especially when it comes to that mmr vaccine that you give to kids because they believe this completely discredited study has been discredited by every medical association in the world including the world health organization that the mmr vaccine was it was it measles mumps and rubella is that what it is Mm -hmm. that that it causes autism okay Here's the thing. I was giving birth during the height of that, right? My son was born in 2006 and I was terrified. I really was. And it, the, the study that, that is now totally discredited was originally published in Lancet, which is a highly respected medical journal. So it took a while for it to be discredited. And I was, I was like, quote, doing my own research. And it was like, and uh, I, I got the vaccine split up. So I didn't get MMR together. I got M and then a little while later, M and then another R mm-hmm. um, out of an abundance of caution. Now, I may have overreacted and my kid is vaccinated, but I was afraid. And um, what was presented to me at the time was like this um, kind of epidemic of autism that if you just go by anecdotal, by people's stories, happened immediately at, at around age two when they got those vaccines. And so I was scared, you know? Um, so I understand how people can get scared. You don't have all the answers and, uh, you start doing, you know, you start going online and there are different answers there and you're like, well, worst thing to do, worst thing to do is to go online. (laughs) (laughs) It's the worst. I mean, I, I, I don't go WebMD anymore. Because I have, you know, I, I'm a hypochondriac anyway, and I, I yeah. used to go on WebMD for everything, and I have had Ebola, I've had Parkinson's, I've had, <laughs> I've had, yeah. I've had Lou Gehrig's disease. I'm not kidding. I'm not joking. I, I'm going through something right now, and I keep WebMDing it, and Elijah, my partner, is like, will you stop it? I'm going to block WebMD from your computer. But, <laughs> but I'm on the flip side, especially ever since COVID. Now I'm like, just vaccine me up. You know, like, yeah. I can't believe how many people in the LGBT community are shocked that I even got um, the monkeypox vaccine. Because they go down this like, you know, wormhole bell, oh, oh, oh you, there's so many unknowns and this really isn't for monkeypox. But I'm like, you know what? This is like the, this is like the, tar- we're the target audience right now. Like, this is like AIDS in the 80s, le- less severe because we know more now. But like, why not protect yourself? And the worst part about it, it, it didn't do anything except leave a tiny little scar. And as uh, a gay man in his 40s uh, who still has good arms, I'm a little vain about that. <laughs> <laughs> 
that I got that tiny little scar there. But you know what? It is better than getting monkeypox. Yeah, uh, it is. Let me ask you this. Have either one of you guys done shingles yet? Yes. I did see um, Maybe sick as a dog. The first day, I felt like I was hit, I was hit by a truck, I felt like, on the first day. I have not, but um, uh, my doctor has not recommended me to uh, do that yet. But then again, I do still have Kaiser. So uh, <laughs> they don't. <laughs> I'm like living in Vegas and I go all the way back to California for my like doctors because that's where my insurance still is there. But um, I do get to have an MRI this week. So I'm sure there'll be a, a whole bunch of things coming my way. Well, get it. If you got to get it, get it on a Friday. Get it on a Friday and don't plan anything for the weekend. That that's my I mean I, maybe Lori, how was your experience? Was it was yours like mine? Uh no, I didn't have a reaction. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I was sick as a dog. I mean, I was as sick as a dog. When I, I got it in the morning and uh, I and like a Wednesday morning and by Wednesday night I was just, you know, I felt like I'd been hit by a truck. Uh and they say that that's co a common reaction. For the first shot, the second shot, there was no reaction to at all. But yeah. it's still worse than, you know, it's it, it, as bad as it was, it's still not as bad as getting shingles. I know people have had shingles. Yeah, I have to know. You should get shingles vaccine because if you had chicken pox previously, is that how it works? I don't know. I thought chicken pox was supposed to give you protection against shingles. I can't remember exactly. Huh. My, now, my see, dad, I thought it was the other way. I thought it was the opposite that if you've had chicken pox, that makes you more susceptible to shingles. Check WebMD. But my <laughs> and now I've got Lou Gehrig's disease again. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. My my dad had shingles and uh, I will never forget uh, how much he hated it. And so as soon as I was eligible, I got I got my vaccine. How old are you supposed to be? Do you know, they, they, they say, is it over 40 or something? I don't know. I might be confusing that with colonoscopy age, though. I'm not really sure. But uh, I mean, oh, have you done that? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I have polyps a lot. So I have to do it every couple of years. I did I've it. I did it recently. And I'll tell you what's the, they, they, they give you, I'll tell you what the triple bugs. I was like, the worst part of it's the prep, of course, mm -hmm. but, but, but I was really just scared about it. And they give you, they give you propofol, which is the Michael Jackson drug. That's what it, oh. it drug that killed Michael Jackson. And right. that's what they give you. And so, so here's my experience and I'm, I'm not exaggerating at all. I'm not making this up at all. I'm, I'm on the table and they, they, they inject, I, I'm trying to think it was an IV that they injected mm -hmm. the drug into. And the doctor says, count back from 10. And I yeah. said, okay. And I went 10, nine, eight. And he says, okay, we're done. And I, go, <laughs> I go, what do you mean we're done? He goes, you've been out for an hour and a half. I had no idea I was out. No right, idea. I had the same exact experience because they said that there's going to be two doses of the medicine and then I was going to count to 10 and I don't even think I made it to like six. But you know what was crazy about this? Because I just had it done too, is that is that prep obviously is terrible, as we all know. But they kept calling me to go in for the for the procedure. And I kept being in the bathroom, apparently. So Elijah was like, they called you three times. So like the fourth time when they called me, the, the nurse who had an attitude with me. She goes, oh, you're finally here. And I'm like, you did this to me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but same thing. I was out. I didn't even know that like it happened. I woke up and I just had a nurse yelling in my face that everything was good. Go home. And I'm like, wow, this was great. You know, that because was I it, yeah. Yeah, because somebody told me that they were actually uh, awake during their colonoscopy, which was not what I want to be. No, oh, God. 
No. And and it, it, and when I found out about that drug and, and they were talking to me about that drug and how that drug works, uh, that Dr. Conrad Murray killed Michael Jackson. There's there's, oh. abs- there's absolutely oh. no question about it. There's no question about it. You're supposed to. Well, first of all, he shouldn't have been given that drug to sleep, you know, just because he needed to get some rest. That's it's right. not you know, it's it's not an ambient, you know. But the other thing is, is somebody supposed to be there monitoring you the whole time? And I guess he was oh, like wow. on the phone with his girlfriend or something and left the room or, you know, there was there was something he'd taken a phone call or. But they're supposed to be monitoring you the, the entire time. You don't you don't hook somebody yeah. up with that and then leave. Yeah. Well, I mean, that I don't know what's happening with medicine these days, because I even had a testicular ultrasound and the lady doing the ultrasound was on her phone the whole time planning her daughter's quinceanera. <laughs> and she she just kept saying no polio, no polio. And I'm like <laughs> Well, Ron, once you've seen one ball, you've seen them all. She knows <laughs> seen one, you've seen them all. Uh, okay. oh. Moving on, I got to actually prepared this program, believe it or not. Uh, so we're having, of, of course, this this major series of storms. It's it's a, a real mess uh, up here in Northern California. How is it down in L.A. now? L.A. was hit pretty hard. Uh, it was crazy a couple nights ago. It, I mean, it was so loud and for so long. Um, right now, it's pretty sunny and beautiful. Uh, but I, I guess it's going to be like this next week, too. So. Yeah, we got another one cut. We, we have a break, I guess, off and on today and tomorrow. And then it's supposed to hit again by the weekend. There are like two or three more major storms that are coming. Wow. You know, so 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 here's my question. Uh, you you um, because of the fact, especially in San Jose, they, they've had a lot of, of problems with, I guess, flash flooding and mudslides. And there have been parts of San Jose where there have been evacuation orders given. And just like, you know, when with hurricanes and with wildfires, when they give evacuation orders, there's always somebody who refuses to go, who says, right. no, nah, I'm not going. Mm-hmm. I'm not going. And so then later on, some firefighter or some EMT has to then go into a much more hazardous situation in order to pull their asses out because they wouldn't leave at the time they were told to leave. So my question is this. Do, I, I know this sounds cold-blooded, but I have always felt that if you don't evacuate when they tell you and you choose to stay, then you're on your own. Is, is the, do, you, do you agree with that or disagree with that? I mean, why should some firefighter have to put his life at risk, you know, going into a hazardous situation because you decided three hours, with three or four hours notice, now nah, I'm not going to go. How about the, because I, I I would say if my son was a firefighter, I'd be like, let him die. I don't care. Don't put my son in this place. But <laughs> yeah. I know my dad would be one of those. Ah, I'm going to stay. You can't trust the government. You know, they're just trying to get you out of your house. Um, so how about a compromise where if we have to rescue you, it costs you $5,000 or some sort of, some sort of amount that's, that's prohibitive. Uh, Cause people will respond to fines in, in a way that they wouldn't respond to just threats of you know you should get out or you'll be you'll be underwater and you know there's actually precedent for that because um there have been cases of these people who decide they're going to sail around the world or right. get in a rowboat and roll around the world or something mm-hmm. they get stuck in the middle of the ocean somewhere and there has to be this big coast guard rescue or naval rescue to come mm-hmm. and to, and to save them and and there is actually precedent for these people now getting a check for the cost of the rescue operation 
because they were doing something that getting was a bill. Risky. Yeah, getting a bill. Yeah, actually, getting yeah, getting a tab, getting a bill for what it costs to rescue them, which is usually in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, so actually that, that actually that would make sense if somebody's going to come in and get you. Ron, thoughts? Well, I mean, half the time, like when you see these people on the news and they're like hunkering down in their house, like, no, we're not evacuating. We got to stay here and, you know, and, and protect our property. And then you look around at their property and you're like, oh, why are you protecting that? You know, it's <laughs> like, it's, I'm like, oh, let that wash away. Um, I, I, I believe that we should just kind of, you know, let them go. The problem is, is that. You know, there's probably elder, really elderly people that don't understand, you know, the gravity of what's going on in those situations, may not have any other family to help them out or the handicapped or people that need special medical attention. And during yeah. those times, we need to have our resources directed to them because they're always going to exist. So if someone's just stubborn, then I don't know. I let them wash away. Let them go up on the roof. Let them fend from themselves. And I... I, I agree with you. It sounds a little callous and cold blooded, but after the last three years, it's sort of the like in, in this whole you know vaccine thing that we've been talking about. It's sort of the way I turned, you know. Like yeah. I want to be, I'd be able to help those who. Oh, I think we dropped him again. I think wow. the government. I think the government's censoring you, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as he's going to say something profound. <laughs> it's like he says, uh, the meaning of life is. Yeah, and it's very rare I say anything profound. So uh... <laughs> uh, let me go with this. I, I noticed uh, today that Merrick Garland, and I noticed this over the weekend too, that Merrick Garland is trending on Twitter. And I look to see what the tweets are and why he's trending. And the reason he's trending is, trending is he's being vilified for, because of the fact that no elected official who participated in January 6th has been arrested or indicted. You've got right. hundreds of the foot soldiers, hundreds of the foot soldiers who've been arrested, have been charged. You've got some uh, in, in prison for sedition uh, for, for years for sedition, yet nobody, you know, is, is uh, I was, I was mentioning off the air uh, to Lori. Uh, I was reading right before we started that uh, of the 17 uh, house committee chairmanships that since the Republicans are now in the House majority out of the 17 chairmanships, 11 of those of those chairmen voted to reject the 2020 elections. And you've got people like you got people like Jim Jordan, who is implicated, who's actually now in charge of the Judiciary Committee, who wants to investigate the, the Justice Department. And, and wants to investigate the, the investigators of Donald Trump and all this kind of stuff. But there are like three or four of, of the Congress people who actually, you know, aside from voting to reject the 2020 elections, uh, actually took part in some way in, in the insurrection and, and encouraging it and trying to cover it up and try, you know, in supporting it in, in some way. So you've actually got insurrectionists who are running these uh, uh, these committees. So so do you think that the criticism of Merrick Garland is justified? Well, we don't really know like where he's at. Like, could he just be doing this very methodically and it can still, you know, come about? I mean, something needs to be done because didn't the House Republicans just sort of vote to like, gut the House Ethics Committee or, uh, yesterday? Um, I don't know if they did or not. I know they want to. Does 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 that have to be agreed on by the Senate? Like, I know they they put up a bill to abolish the IRS and that's obviously not going to go anywhere. No. And so most of their bills are not going to go anywhere. I don't know if the House mm. ethics thing is a thing that Congress has to 
you know, like no, I don't. I don't think the Senate has that. That's a House Rules thing, and I think that's something that's done internally. I don't think the Senate has any say in in, in that. Mm. That's that's the House policing the House. So I don't I don't think that the Senate has any any say in that in terms of some of the other things that, you know, they're they want to pass. No, they passed a uh, uh, the first bill they passed was a bill cutting the extra funding to the IRS. Uh, uh, Biden signed a law last year that increased funding for the IRS for the sole purpose of being able to audit and go after wealthy people who were not paying their fair share. Right. And so the way they're spinning it is, is that the Republicans are spinning it, that what it is, is, is for them to go out to the middle class. And it's not. That's not the truth. But anyway, they, so the very first thing they did was vote to to gut that extra funding. But that would have to go through the Senate and then be signed by Biden. And that's not going to happen. But in terms of House rules stuff, no, that's all internal. OK, well, I mean, it's going to be uh, them uh, investigating Hunter Biden for, for his two laptop. Years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I would imagine um, hopefully the Democrats will get their crap together and uh, be able to take the House back. That's all. I mean, the, the if there's an upside to the Republicans winning, maybe, you know, how usually uh, there's like this sickening shift after, you know, like there, there would be a danger of people um, getting sick of Democrats and, and voting Republican in 2024. Four, but it's possible they'll be so disgusted by the House that the Democrats might clean up in 2024 and yeah. perhaps with enough mm-hmm. votes to do a lot more that they wanted to versus what they had in 2020, which is just that super slim, you know, Kamala, Kamala Harris majority, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I hope I, I I mean, I really, really hope that Merrick Garland does something and we don't know how far uh, he's gone or the special counsel, Jack Smith, uh, has gone. we know that Jack Smith, among other things I read today, uh, subpoenaed and got testimony from Giuliani apparently last month. Oh. So, we, so we don't know what it is that it, what it is they've done. But I mean, I just find it ridiculous that you've got hundreds of again, hundreds of the foot soldiers who were arrested and have been charged and a number of them incarcerated. But Jim Jordan's going to head the, the Judiciary Committee or you got another congressman whose name escapes me, whose phone was just taken um, by the FBI because uh, of of uh, of texts that he sent to I think to Mark Meadows uh, during the insurrection and and and, and sent to Trump uh, encouraging the insurrection or telling him how to uh, you know to to uh, to facilitate what was going on, and he's a, a committee chair. Is that so, Andy Biggs? Maybe no, it's not Biggs. Although Biggs is one of, is is one of the top insurrectionists, is Biggs. But there's yeah. another guy, and I, he, I, his name escapes me. There's another guy well, whose name escapes me. It seems like the burden of proof is really high when it comes to elected officials, uh, you know, and, and and because they just assumed people wouldn't be leading insurrections against their own government. They didn't make it seems like they didn't make the laws clear for elected officials. So there's lots of loopholes for them to go through. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, that's that seems why to me, why Trump hasn't been indicted, mm-hmm. yet, you know. It's like, uh, well, we just didn't think a president would do this stuff. So we didn't think to make it blatantly illegal. Um, that, I think Danny Willis in Georgia is going to indict him. Maybe. I, I, hope really, so. I really do. Good. I really do. I think Danny Willis is going to indict him. It's, it's going to be, you know, well, we can find out, you know, the grand jury's finished his work. And so it's really up to her what she wants to do, I guess, at this point. We don't know what the grand jury recommendation is. Yeah. Um, and she's not bound by it. 
Yeah. She's not bound by it. The, the, the grand jury was just fact finding. So she's not bound by it. But we'll find out, you know, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be a couple of weeks from now. But we'll find out what the grand jury said and we'll find out what it is she decides to do. Yeah. Uh, other other news today. Um, Prince Harry's book came out, his book Spare. And uh, I, I, I'll fess up and tell you that I got it on Audible. I, I had not been following any of this Harry and Meghan stuff until I, I watched the, my, my daughter said, you got to watch the Netflix thing because she, she's a real royal watcher. So I watched the, the documentary and it's like, man, you know, did you see the Netflix documentary? Either one of you, the, the Harry and Meghan. No. Netflix, yeah. Of course I did. Yeah, I'm very obsessed with the story. I'm going to listen to it on the from my Libby app. So I'm 17th online at my library. But uh, yeah, I, I'm very well versed in the story. So go. Okay, well, here's the thing is that there there are two camps. One camp is, you know, yes, I, I felt that they got a raw deal. I felt that Megan was treated badly. You know, I respect Harry for what it is he's done and I supported him. But now they're just whining. That's one camp. And I've heard that a lot. Now they're just whining, whining and enough already. And then that's, there's uh, another camp. That's that's troll stuff from the British media. I mean, the book is a bestseller in the UK. It's going crazy here. People are mm -hmm. dying to know more about it. And, um, you know, they've only done a few interviews, but they've been very high profile. So I guess mm -hmm. there's a, a way to claim, oh, they, they're just complaining too much. No, they really have only done a few interviews and the Netflix thing. And what what he's pushing back against is 38 years of lies and tabloid stuff um, that have cast him in a certain role in life as this kind of, you know, screw up the brother that's the screw up. And so he's pushing back against it. I I believe that after this book launch is finished, they're going to retreat to doing their charity stuff and kind of avoid the royal talking about the royal family for a while. Well, we'll see. I mean, the, the, the reports are is that, that the king is not happy and that the Prince of Wales is is furious. I mean, apparently there's a real rift between the two of them. Well, he, but Brian, who's the reports are from who? Oh, the, yeah. And the Daily they're Mail. From, they're right. from people that get paid to lie about the about the royal. That's true. That's true. So, the Daily Mail know. being the worst. It's like a Trump saying people are saying what people who are you talking about? <laughs> well, actually, there are people I know. I mean, this is anecdotal, but there are people who I, I know, friends of mine who have like posted on Facebook and said, all right, you know, I supported him, but like enough already. Well, OK, so they can uh, they can mute their names and go on with their lives. I mean, just the fact that people spend time saying I'm tired of talking about them. Well, you just added their name to an algorithm that is keeping them in the news again. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I support them. I mean, I, I had no idea what it is they'd been through until I saw the Netflix thing. And and it really, it, it, to be quite honest with you, I'm surprised how emotional I got. It really pissed me off. You know, it really, really pissed me off that they, they were just treated, especially her. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and when you compare how she was treated um, by the British media, by the royal family, compared to how Kate Middleton was treated. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't see how you can say that race was not a factor in any of this. I, I just right. don't. No, you can't. You know, I just I just flat out don't. So um, you got any thoughts on Iran? Are you not following it at all? 
I don't really follow it now. My boyfriend is obsessed with the Royals and he always has been. And so he follows it and I get a little uh, secondhand information. But from the little bit that I know, I totally agree, you know, with both of you, how um, how definitely like racism and everything uh, was in play. The closest that I've got to this situation is, is that on more than one occasion, I've been called a queen. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that is... What was that you tweeted out the day Elizabeth died? You you just laid oh. me out. With you posted on Facebook, I, and I laughed out loud. Oh, I think I said something like "Thanks for all your calls and support," but different queen. I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Back when Twitter was fun, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Golden Globes. Go ahead. Oh, just to, I don't want to, but, uh, you know, in addition to like the racism, which I, you know, I think was pretty obvious. It was interesting what we found out recently. A lot of it's some just generic anti-Americanism. Like we don't want those, uh, like those, those bumbling, clumsy, classless Americans. It, 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 there was a little bit more of that than I realized that was going on in, in Britain, uh, in part of their Megan coverage, you know, mm-hmm. and and that has a history going back to Wallace Simpson. Yeah, uh, right. when when King King Edward abdicated in order to marry an American divorcee back in 1936, I think mm-hmm. I used to know a lot. I, I my mother gave me a book on on the kings and queens of, of of England, going starting with William the Conqueror and going up through Elizabeth when I was like twelve. And yeah. I was just fascinated because uh, Elizabeth and I had the same birthday. And oh. when I and when I was nine, I wrote her a letter and asked her if she'd oh. make me an, and asked her if she'd make me a knight <laughs> because because we, because we had the same uh, we had the same birthday. And I actually got a letter back from from Buckingham Palace from some oh, lady and nice. some lady in waiting. So I'm commanded by Her Majesty you know, <laughs> to say that she Aww. gets a lot of requests, a lot of requests, and she can't, you know, this is one she can't fulfill and blah, blah, blah. I've still got it somewhere. That's but, cool. Yeah. yeah. But uh, uh, anyway, I so I'm your anti Megan rant, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an anti Megan rant. I'm on Megan's side. <laughs> I, I didn't have a horse in this fight before. Now I feel like I do. <laughs> Now I feel like I do. Um, Golden Globes. Did either of you watch? I did not see it. I, I um, did. No, you did, you did or did not. I did not. OK, I didn't see it either. And I got a heads up about this. Um, Eddie Murphy's getting a lot of grief today because he, he got the Cecil B. DeMille Award, um, you know, which is kind of like a for contributions to entertainment and to, to the, in the, the entertainment industry. And during his acceptance speech, here's how he ended it. He ended it by saying, quote, there's a blueprint that you can follow to achieve success, prosperity, longevity, and peace of mind. Do three things. Pay your taxes, mind your business, and keep Will Smith's wife's name out of your effing mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I read that. That was a great joke. I mean, I thought that's funny. I think that's funny. I feel sorry for everyone who is hosting the Oscars because I don't think you can beat that joke. Uh, That's a that's like a perfect joke told by the right person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're not going to mention it at the Oscars. I don't see how you can. Oh, I I think they're going to if I but anyone hosting the Oscar, any comic hosting is going to try to mention it. You got to figure out a way to mention it. But I, I, I think I think it's hostless. I think they're doing the hostless thing again. Oh, I think I could be wrong, but I think that's what they're doing. Okay. Maybe that's why. 
Yeah, well, yeah, probably. Probably. I, I thought that worked okay, actually, a couple of years ago. I guess it was year before last they did it. And I, I went, it was a year that Kevin Hart was asked to do it. And then because oh, of yeah. old of old tweets, he well, he was either fired or stepped down. I, I don't know. He, I, I, think who you he, believe. I think they wanted him to do a, a I think he had apologized. They were kind of like homophobic stuff. Yeah. And then they wanted him to re-apologize. And he was like, you know what? I don't think so. And he just uh, decided not to host it. Okay, so here's a good question for you. These are from years ago. Should there be a statute of limitations on ignorant things you say? I mean, there's stupid stuff. <laughs> if I said when I was in my 20s or when I was a teenager that I sure as hell wouldn't want to be held accountable for now. Yeah. You know, so should there be a statute of limitations? I mean, the fact that, that uh, you know, statutes of limitations on everything are going out the window. You, you got the actors who played Romeo and Juliet in 1968 suing the studio. I think it's Paramount uh, over the nude scene that they did in 1968 because they were underage. It's like, you know, oh, clearly you're not damaged by it. It's been over 50. It's been, what, 55 years. Clearly they're not damaged by it. That's not clear at all. And and I would say neither of them are famous now, so they didn't go on to anything. And maybe they were damaged, didn't want anything to do with the business. Like, well, here's, I, I, here's why I say clearly, because they've given interviews since and have talked about the scene. And, and, well, have, and have not talked about it in a negative way. Well, because they didn't have, there wasn't a Me Too movement. There was no institutional support for talking about it in a negative way. I mean, you you if you're a teenager and you're doing scenes like that, and you, there's going to be damage. I mean, whether they talk about it or are even aware of it at the time. I mean, you learn to cope and you learn to put on an act and uh, you can go your whole life putting on that act and not acknowledge that something terrible happened to you. Uh, but maybe because of all the stuff that's been, you know, with Me Too, they were kind of like allowed to investigate that. And they should because it was shitty that they were that young. That's that's terrible. That's what were they like? They were like 15 and 16 or something yes. like that. Yeah. Oh, wow. I never saw it. And I will tell you that straight up. I never saw it. Did you see it? Either of you? Have you seen that version of Romeo and Juliet? No, no. Yeah, so I don't know how graphic the scene is, so I should say that. So I'm I'm, I'm talking out of my ass partially because I have not seen the film, uh, but but I just thought you know it's been 55 years and and now you're suing after 55 years. Well, I mean, when you never said anything before about the fact that you were damaged. Right? However, then I look at the then I look you know I'm Catholic. Then I look at the I look at the church exactly. and there, mm-hmm. there are, are altar boys who are you know at, at my old parish. Our, mm-hmm. our, the, pa- the pastor at the parish I grew up in, who's been dead for years, one of the altar boys has now come forward with a suit that he was uh, abused 40 years ago. Oh, yeah. That's happening at like the high school, the old Catholic high school that I went to, even from the time period when I was there. 25 years ago, people are wow. alleging certain things against brothers and uh, other faculty and people from the parish. And, you know, what's interesting about that, the one person in particular who has all these allegations like right around that time period, the church just sent him to Canada and we've never heard from him again. Hmm, wonder why. Wow. Well, I will tell you, I was an altar boy. I was an altar boy for five years and I never saw anything. But if this if this allegation against the pastor is true, then that means that two out of the three priests uh, who were there, because there was one who was a, an, an admitted pedophile. 
you know, who they kept shuffling mm-hmm. from from diocese to diocese. Yeah. And finally, I mean, he admitted what it was that that uh, that he uh, had done. He since he since passed away, and uh, took accountability for it. And I think was a witness when the diocese was sued uh, by by a group of survivors. So that means that two out of the three priests who were officiating when when I was an altar boy were pedophiles. If this story is is accurate about the pastor, and, and again, I never saw anything. Right. I, I never, you know, the reason they pick kids is because kids won't say anything uh, no. and they'll keep it inside. That's the reason they pick them. So and I don't think we can penalize people who are adults who finally go through the process that you need to go through to be able to say, hey, this happened to me when I was 12, 11, 10. That's, yeah. that's yeah. why priests pick them. They're like, I'll be dead before this guy realizes that I did something wrong that I could be held accountable for. So, you know, that if, if we acknowledge that that's a process that a, a young victim of, of abuse has to go through, like decades of denial and then finally a reawakening then it's never there's never a wrong time for them to say hey i I, this happened and someone needs to be held accountable and i'm assuming because i know you went to catholic high school did you go to catholic uh, elementary school no just high school just high school were you raised catholic if you don't mind me asking yes yeah yeah okay so do you know then then the stature that that priests held in in the time because you and i are the same age that when 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 we were growing up the priest the priest was like god himself if you had the priest to your house for dinner i mean that was just like a a huge thing it it was you know it was like royalty coming to visit (laughs) and so you didn't dare you know, you know, you wouldn't dare have the audacity to to say, here's what the, here's what father did to me. Yeah. I mean, we never yeah, because right. no one would believe you because nobody would believe you. Yeah. Right. 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 You, you know, what's really interesting is that I went to public elementary school and Catholic high school, but we were very much and we're Roman Catholic. And like we were very much involved in our local church as uh, uh, when I was not going to um Catholic uh, elementary school or whatever. And what you were talking about there, um, uh, we feared everybody. We feared the priests. We even feared the nuns, you know, and so forth. And that Mm -hmm. uh, particular school was actually shut down. Um, And I don't know exactly why, but there was something there that happened. Uh, But then I got to Catholic high school and we feared the brothers. The brothers were um, a lot of ones that were like sent away after the allegations. But what was really confusing to me is our campus priest was also a ventriloquist. And um, I feared him what? for different reasons. Oh. Yes. He was so a ventriloquist. Name, yes. His name was Father White. And he taught a religion class. And every Friday he came in with Bobby. And Bobby taught the class with him. And Bobby was his puppet on his head. <laughs> so oh I feared Father White for completely different reasons at that point. Did the, pu- did the puppet have like a collar in the whole thing? Oh, yeah, the puppet had a little, yes, he had a little priest outfit. And, like, I, since, <laughs> like, you did not realize, like, how absurd it was. But then afterwards, I became a comedian and grew up to be an adult. And I, like, Googled him. And, yeah, sure enough, like, all through the 2000s, Father White was playing, like, nursing homes and senior centers <laughs> with, his, with his little act. And, um, yeah, so that's how you make a comedian. There was a cop in San Francisco God, I want to say in the 80s. And Lori, maybe you remember this cop. Uh, he had a, a ventriloquist doll that he brought with him every, everywhere. Brendan O'Smarty. And he got a <laughs> and he got a bunch of press. I mean, just a bunch of press because of the fact that every call he went on, he had this ventriloquist dummy with him. 
Wow. And and uh, they would have him go and, you know, talk to kids and do, do a lot of this other stuff. But yeah. Yeah. I wonder what would happen to him. Was he arresting people with the puppet, too? Like, that would be really great. That would. Well, I think he would just have the puppet read the Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> I think the puppet just Mirandized him. That's that. That's all. Um, uh, and with this kind of a sad note and again something that makes me feel old um, you guys remember the show Eight is Enough yeah yes you both remember Eight is Enough okay yeah Adam Ritz little Mm -hmm. Nicholas died yeah Uh, and they have not they've not disclosed what he died from Uh, he had a a troubled you know just like most child stars he had a real you know teenage and teenage through 20s period of drug addiction and and depression and and you know robbing pharmacies and all kinds of stuff but apparently got his act together but he was 54 years old that's just that just blows my mind that he was 54 years old you know that the the, the youngest one the cute little one was 54 years old you know it's just you know it's just mind-boggling and the thing I remember most about that show was it had the most sickening, sweet theme song, like enough to make you hurl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a plate of homemade wishes on the kitchen windows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Remember that one where, where they found the mom's Christmas presents that she'd left right before she died? And yes, the kids, I think Willie didn't have a Christmas present and he was so upset. And then they found it at the end of the episode. Yes. Yes, that was the one with. Uh, why do I know this? <laughs> why do I know that was the one with Will Gear from the Waltons who came in oh, and, wow. bur- and burglarized mm-hmm. them on Christmas Eve and stole all their presents. Oh wow! So right. why do I know this? I, this is some of the stuff you know. I was making a reference about something like the Brady Bunch or something, and it's 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 a trip that the kids don't know because right. all the stuff that we watched in the syndication, like when you came home from school at four o'clock, all that's Hogan's heroes and all that kind of stuff that was on, you know, the in syndication, like in the seventies and the eighties and stuff, it's it, syndication is doesn't exist anymore because yeah. Nickelodeon and TV land bought up the rights mm-hmm. to all that stuff. Yeah. You know, so it's only on when they want to see it. And I don't even know what, you know, I used to watch Nick at night all the time. I don't even know what, yeah. when, when Nickelodeon is on, on, uh, on, on cable, what, what channel it is anymore, you know? Anyway, so that's that's my making us feel old part of the show. <laughs> making us feel ancient. All right, so where are you guys playing? Lori, where can folks see you? Um, I will be at Rooster Tea Feathers in Sunnyvale uh, in March, the first weekend in March. And if you're listening in uh, Indiana, I'll be at the Comedy Attic in Bloomington, February 3rd and 4th. I'm going to come down and see you in March when you're at Rooster. Oh, cool. I'll come down and holler. And Roosters looks so nice now, and I'm so happy she's reopened because it's a great club. It really is a great club. It looks really sleek from the pictures I saw, which is something you'd never describe Roosters as. (laughs) 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 She did a very good job, and she's putting more stuff up. I was there the second week that it was open, and I'm so happy because I love to support like locally owned you know clubs yes. and yes. women owned clubs too yeah. and, and, and and so forth so I, I i'm very excited i was pushing for that for a long time and i'm really excited that she's open yeah. well, that's thrilling I, and in fact i owed her um before i did my first solo show not a genuine black man it was supposed to run for six weeks and then i was booked at roosters and <laughs> and it kept getting extended and extended yeah. and extended and so she was kind enough to keep pushing the date back till finally couple of years of uh, this jail ran for a couple of years mm-hmm. and so so i owe her a week is the bottom line so, <laughs> so so maybe i'll pop in and, and if the headliner will let me maybe i'll do a guest set 
please. If 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 the headliner will allow it, so we'll please. we'll we'll, we'll, we'll see. I <laughs> Ron, where are you? Uh, this week, while people are listening to this, I'll be over at uh, uh, Punchline, San Francisco, my home club. I'll, I'm gonna be working with Jessica Kirsten, who's amazing. And then oh. next week, I, yes, uh, amazing. And next week, I will get to venture up to Reno, January nineteenth to twenty second at Laugh Factory, uh, Reno. So I will uh, be there as well. I don't know. Is Laugh Factory in Reno? Is it, is it in a casino? Uh, yes, it's at the Silver Legacy. It's the oh, old Catch a Rising Star. Oh, okay. I played that. I, uh, I played yeah. there. It's pretty much Catch a Rising Star with that Laugh Factory background. That's like all that's changed, you know. It was is that the old Reno Hilton? Um, you know what? That I don't know, but it's downtown. It's one oh, of those four casinos then. still left downtown, you okay. know, and it's right there next to the El Dorado and Circus Circus. Okay. Does Circus Circus still have that dollar ninety nine prime rib thing? Because uh, <laughs> you know I, that's I, premium USDA choice meat for a buck. <laughs> that is very doubtful. Um, it is kind of a little tragic up in that area. Last time that I've uh, uh, been there, uh, but nonetheless, it's work and the things that one does for work. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad that some audiences are coming back. You know, I'm, I'm, it's just it's it's been rough. They say that they don't expect audiences to to reach pre-COVID levels until sometime in 2024. I mean, honestly, I don't know what Lori's experience is because I assume that she's done a lot more than me. But what I see is because I've done Oklahoma City recently, Arizona, those places are the traditional what COVID, you know, and they're just packed to the gills. Yeah, but those but are red you, states. Yes, exactly. And then you they believe it's a hoax anyway. Mm -hmm. Then you go to San Francisco and stuff and it's a little more like hit or miss, but rightfully so, because people are actually acting the way that they are uh, supposed to act, you know? Yeah. 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 And in the red states. Yeah. Well, Lord, where did you say you, you're selling out in or in Oregon? You're sold out. Already? Oh, yeah. I'm uh, yeah. I'm in Corvallis this Saturday and the show sold out. So it's awesome. Well, I'm glad that some audiences are coming back. So that's good. That's good. Yeah. Lori Kilmartin, Ron Vi. Um, Ron, always a pleasure to have you. One of my favorites. Lori, I, I, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you'll do this again. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. All right. Oh, I should Thank mention, you. My, my, I'm off this weekend and I am uh, reopening uh, my new solo show, Grandma and Me, at the Marsh in San Francisco on February the 21st. So uh, for information, you can go to themarsh.org. For information and for tickets. So uh so I'm off this weekend and reopening the twenty-first. So uh that's gonna do it for now. If you like this podcast um, and you want to support it, there are a couple of ways you can do it. One is to tell everybody you know any way that you possibly can about it. Send them the link. You can subscribe so that you don't have to remember to to download it. It'll automatically show up in your feed every week. Uh, you could also go to iTunes and if you like the show, give us a five-star review. That helps people to find it. So uh, anything you can do to support us, we appreciate it. And I appreciate all of you who've already done all these things to support. It. So I will check you out next week. Until then, be kind to your neighbor. He knows where you live. <laughs>